Hello and welcome to BB On The Record, this podcast from British Bandsmen. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsmen, and in this episode, I hear from band manager and long-serving principal cornet player of Foden's band, Mark Wilkinson, following the news that the Sandbatch organisation is to receive another financial boost, this time from the Heritage Lottery Fund. Mark discusses how the band plans to make use of the funding and looks ahead to the Whit Friday Online Brass Band Championship, which Foden's is busy organising. He also reflects on his own musical career, which saw him start playing cornet in a tin hut and rise to enjoy nearly three decades and counting in the top chair at Foden's. Mark also discusses how he nearly ended up joining one of Foden's close rivals, but first, what does he make of the past 14 months? I think it's been challenging as a, with, with everyone. I think from a personal point of view, it's been nice to spend more time at home, extremely busy with Foden's and other, other things, which so has been nice to uh, perhaps have some, some free time. However, it's been strange not working every weekend and going to band twice a week. And I must say, I, I have missed that sort of structure and that, and that busyness. Congratulations are in order for Foden's after it was recently announced that the band is to receive £26,400 from the Heritage Lottery Fund. You must be delighted with that news. Yes, uh, over, over the moon. It was uh, an application that we, we started working on with uh, our Vice President Carol Crompton about five months ago. We'd been the recipients of a previous Heritage uh, funding back in 2016, which followed on from our devastating fire. So back in 2016, what we wanted to do, we wanted to preserve the artefacts that had remained from the fire. So we uh, we was lucky to obtain funding to digitise that and also house it on a central heritage website. However, we didn't have the premises to be able to display it actually in, in person. So this latest funding is to enable us to have a central location, sort of, I suppose, like a, a museum where people can visit, see the artefacts in, in person. However, there will also be a, an online tour that will be added to the Heritage website for those unable to access the material in person. How delighted are you to be able to bring together these projects? I understand there's also going to be a sort of interactive information board erected in Sandbach. Yes, so uh, we're heavily involved in the, the community. Uh, the band's been based in, in Sandbach for, well, since we were formed in 19, 1902. So uh, the community are integral to what we do, and I think we're integral to what the community what the community does. So... Uh, we thought it would be good to have like a, an information panel in, in Sandbach that would be QR coded, that would give people sort of an overview and photos of our, our history. And with it being in a, in a prominent place in Sandbach, it just uh, maintains sort of our presence in the, the area. This is Foden's sixth successful application to either the Heritage Lottery Fund or Arts Council England in the past five years. That's a remarkable achievement. What sort of an impact is it having on the Foden's organisation? Because it must be helping in so many areas, from building the local profile, as you say, to being seen as a leading light in the banding community, and of course inspiring the next generation too. 
part of the things we're applying for for funding, you have to sort of tick box. It's uh, to do with leaving legacies and uh, outreach and innovation. So it's it's enabled us to come up with some projects that hopefully tick all those boxes in relation to some of the Arts Council funding we've received, but also it enables us to look after our past through the, the heritage funding. We're extremely proud of our sort of origins and uh, we want to make our heritage as accessible as we can. It's no use just having it stuck in a, in a drawer somewhere. We want people to be able to see it. So that's why we've we've done so many applications to the Arts Council to leave these legacies and uh, innovative projects, but also to protect and share our history through the, the heritage funding. You mentioned the name Carol Crompton earlier on. How much of a contribution does Carol make to that process when you're applying for funding? Carol, Carol was a previous solo baritone player <clears throat> with the band uh, around 1994. She was with the band for a number of years, but I've always been been close friends with with Carol. And back in 2016, I asked Carol would she get involved with the band due to her experiences in in the heritage side. She was a, an arts officer for uh, Bolsover District Council. So we worked with Carol on a, a number of these projects and due to her expertise, knowing how to fill the, the forms in, the relationships sort of built on from there. So Carol's integral to everything we do funding-wise and sort of as a, as a thank you from the band to, to her for everything that she does, we made her a, a vice president of the band last year. What would your message be to bands that might be sitting thinking... I wish we were doing what Foden's is doing, but we just don't know where to start. Maybe they don't have the skill sets in their committee when it comes to things like funding applications or they just feel a bit apprehensive about it. What would you say to them? It's always interesting to read, especially on social media, a number of bands have been fortunate to receive funding. A lot of the time, there's a lot of praise for the work that they've been done. There's also a lot of negativity towards the band for, for getting funding. There's a lot of work, a lot of thought needs to go into these applications. And in the view of the Arts Council or the Heritage Lottery, if you don't tick the boxes, you won't get the funding. So bands don't, when they apply for funding, it's not funding to, I suppose, benefit the organisation financially. It's funding to carry out projects for the benefit of, of others. So I think it's, it's important for people to, uh, to know that. You need to be involved with someone who knows how to fill the forms in. It's time consuming and it's a lot of work if bands or individuals don't necessarily know how to complete the forms and about these outreach and legacies and various criteria that we need to be doing. So I think it's always worth speaking to someone who's got experience of putting putting together these applications. It's an interesting point you make about some of the feedback that we all see on social media from time to time. And I think at times it maybe just demonstrates a slight lack of understanding on some people's parts. You highlight very well there the fact that you have to be very specific and look to certain projects and fit the criteria, fit the bill when it comes to applying for some of these funding awards. And any time we see it, we've seen it with Foden's this time and with other bands in recent months too, these achievements have to be celebrated, so congratulations for that. Now, this time of the year, we'd normally see bands people flocking to the villages of Thameside and Saddleworth for the Whit Friday marches. Clearly, the pandemic has had an effect, and for the second year in a row, the greatest free show on earth won't be able to go ahead. 
However, step in Foden's band, which is helping to maintain the spirit of the event by organising another online competition. How are plans shaping up for that one, Mark? So last year, when Whip Friday got cancelled, we uh, we decided to run an online event, uh, Whip Friday, and received uh, 90, 90 bands entered, and it, it was fantastic. It was great to see bands working together during those difficult times and giving bands and individuals a, a purpose to, to work towards something. Uh, sadly, this year, Whip Friday was cancelled once again, so due to the success of last year, we thought it'd be good to run another event. We've learned quite a lot following last year's. Last year, the, the closing date was a day before we put the stream out, which caused a bit of a panic from our social media team who put all this to, together and our coordinator, Darren Lee, running around on the last minute trying to put everything together and hoping it would be uploaded in time on uh, on YouTube. So this year, we, uh, we asked for bands to enter prior to the 1st of April and to submit the videos prior to the 1st of May. And th- th- again, this year, we're going to be awarding trophies to the top three bands in each each section. So we've got a number of sponsors involved and the sponsorship covers the cost of the band to purchase the trophies. Well, it's shaping up to be a terrific event and I encourage people to take a space on the sofa and sit and just enjoy. 118 bands, as I understand it, taking part and you'll be able to watch all the action online. It's broadcast on May the 28th and 29th from 4pm. So good luck for that online Whit Friday contest. Along with Corey... Mark, Foden's has been at the heart of a lot of the innovative work we've seen over the past year in an effort to keep people motivated and inspired during what's obviously been rather a difficult time. What have you made of the way bands in general have tried to embrace technology and upskill in an effort to keep things going? I think, I think it's fantastic that, uh, that bands have uh, looked to technology again to try and motivate their own players and to keep a presence for, for their bands, as well as running events to benefit others. Uh, I think we've all got a better understanding now of how technology works. I know Richard Poole, who's put all our band videos together, he finds them a lot quicker now to put together than initially when we, when we started off. So it's been, it's been good. It's helped the outreach of brass bands to a, a worldwide audience. And even as we do return to in-person events, I'm quite sure that a number of these online events will still continue. In a moment, Mark, we're going to turn to your musical career, which has seen you spend very nearly three decades in the top chair at Foden's. But just before we talk about it, it seems like an appropriate point at which to listen to your piece of the podcast. So tell me your thinking then behind choosing this piece. So my chosen piece is uh, the, the final movement of Year of the Dragon by Philip Spark. I joined Foden's in January 1992, and the Europeans were held in May uh, 1992 in, uh, in Cardiff, and Foden's won the Europeans, and they played this piece. And uh, the recording we've got is the live performance.
The final movement of the Year of the Dragon music by Philip Spark. It was played by what was then the Britannia Building Society Band, conducted by Howard Snell, and that was a recording of the winning performance from the 1992 European Brass Band Championships. Sitting in the top chair was my guest today, Mark Wilkinson. Mark, does it bring it all back when you hear that recording? Yep, certainly brings it back. It doesn't, definitely doesn't seem like 30 years ago. You mentioned you only joined the band in January of that year and this performance came in around May. How did that invitation come about to join the band? So I was very fortunate to have been associated with National Youth Brass Band as a, as a principal cornet. So prior to joining Foden's, I was asked to join Wingates, who at the time was conducted by David James who was the cornet tutor at National Youth. And then in end of 1991, I was contacted by Nicholas Childs, who at the time was sole euphonium at Foden's, and he was also the euphonium tutor at the National Youth Band. And and Nicholas said that uh, Martin Winter, who was principal cornet with Foden's at the time, had got the job with the BBC, so he would be leaving. And uh, 
Nick had uh, recommended me to, to Howard Snell. So would I be interested in auditioning uh, for Howard, who had never never heard my, my playing? So it was through Nick and my association with National Youth that the opportunity came along at Foden's. Can you remember what you felt like when you sat and played in the band for the first time? Were you pretty calm or were you thinking, blimey, this is something special? A uh, bit of everything, really. Extremely <laughs> uh, nervous. I've got big shoes to fill going the people who'd played before for me. Um, when I did join on Principal Cornet, Martin Winter was also on soprano. So obviously I was a big admirer of uh, Martin's playing and to have him sat behind me to be looking at Nicholas Childs and Nick Hudson and all these fantastic players was quite, quite nerve-wracking and it was quite a, a step up from anything that I'd done before. Prior to joining Foden, you mentioned you'd been with Wingate for a couple of years, but how did it all begin for you? Where did those early musical experiences come from? So I'm originally from a little village in near Manchester called Boothtown, where I lived at the, the time, at the, most at the bottom of the garden, there was a, a tin hut, and that's where the local band used to rehearse. And over the road from the t- tin hut was the primary school. So when I was six, a letter came to school from the, the local band asking, would anyone like to learn a brass instrument? If so, turn up at the, the tin hut. So I turned up at the, the tin hut on this particular Sunday with about 50 other, other kids. At the time, the band told us to get there and no one from the band turned up. We waited for about an hour. Eventually someone came and said, oh, we're very sorry, but the band have got the date wrong. It's next week. Can you come next week? So we said, oh, okay, then. So we went the following week, but instead of being 50 kids, there was about th- just a handful. And I don't know if the band had done this on purpose to see who was keen, who would come back, or if it was just a, an error on the, the band, band part. So I started with a band. I had lessons from different members of the, the band and eventually joined the band on Third Cornet. And I stayed with the Boost Town Band for, for four years. I'd had a, a great time, and that's sort of how I started my musical journey. Were you always quite serious about your music making or did you reach an age where you really ramped it up? No, I was always serious about my music making. I sort of I fell in love with the, the cornet right from the, the start. Uh, my inspiration wasn't still is Brian Taylor from, from Fairies. I used to have lessons off Brian and because of sort of the, the link with Brian, Fairies always used to be my, my band. And I actually, before I joined Foden's in 92, I actually got offered Principal Cornet at Fairies at the end of 1991. Uh, when I left school, I didn't go to university or, or music college, anything. I got a job working for the police. So I was working clerical for the police, but I was working shifts. So one week I was working seven in the morning till three in the afternoon, the following week, two till 10. On paper, I could only give 50% commitment which I said to fair is, I said, but however, what I would do is when I was working, I'd take half day's leave so I could come to band. Fairies came back and said, thank you. However, we need someone who can perhaps be able to guarantee 100%. So thank you. And that was it. Anyway, I joined, joined Foden's. And just, just as I accepted Foden's, Fairies come back and said, we've had another rethink and we'd like you to come to Fairies. <laughs> but I'd already joined Foden's. But uh, Fairies was always my band growing up. Blame me, how different things might have been if they'd taken another turn. Now, I was talking to Foden's principal trombonist, John Barber, recently, and he was reflecting on some of the different approaches of different conductors the band has worked with down the years. Howard Snell was in the middle 
in the recording we just heard, but you've worked with everybody from Philip McCann to Alan Withington, Gary Cutt, Bram Tovey, Russell Gray. Mike Fowles, of course, does so much for the band too. As Principal Cornet, you're very close, physically as well, to what's going on in the middle. Has anyone had a particular influence on you down the years? I think my main influences has always been Howard Snell. Obviously, I'm, I'm still in touch with uh, Bram, Bram Miltovey's president of the band, so I've got a, a close relationship with Bram and, and still Howard Snell. Uh, I've, I've always had positive relationships with, with all the conductors. I've always had close relationships with the conductors. They've all got their own particular styles and the way how they, they communicate with the band. But the reason they're all top conductors is the contest results and the way that they do sort of manage and, and deal with the band. In your time, you, you talk about contest results, Mark. You've won everything. British Opens, National Finals, Europeans, Swiss, French, American Opens, as well as victories at the All England Masters, regional contests, of course, and brass and concert. Whether we're looking at the contest stage or the concert platform, are there any performances that linger in your mind, even to this day, as being particularly special? I think the Europeans... When in, in 1992, that was my first major competition, was always a, a special memory. Uh, the band were fortunate to win the double in 2012. Again, both those performances were very special. Uh, however, I think one of the, the most memorable performances for me was uh, British Open a few years ago when it was Dynasty. The band, we didn't win, we got, we got third. Uh, but I think the, the piece featured Cornet heavily. It was based around the, the Mortimer family, who'd obviously had such a big impact with, with Foden's. So I sort of I felt like I could connect with that, with that piece. And uh, for me, uh, that was a, a really enjoyable performance. Now, there are a few players around the stand who will have been able to share in quite a few of those performances uh, because they've accumulated quite a few years of service as well. You're nearly at 30 years. John Barber's been around for decades as well. It's not every band that can say that sort of thing, especially when competing at the very highest level. What do you think makes Foden's a place where people want to stay? Yeah, so extremely fortunate at Foden's. We always seem to have a stable and and settled band. Uh, I know... All bands talk about being like a, a family, but I, I honestly think Foden's are. A, a lot of us originally lived in Manchester because of the band. We've all moved down to, to Sandbach. All our wives are friends with each other. The children are friends with each other. We're friends with each other outside of the band. I think because of that bond, that's why we have so much stability. But I think I think musically, uh, the, num- the different variety in the projects, we do, the conductors we work with. It's not just a matter of turning up to band playing the same pieces, the same type of concerts. We do have a, a lot of variety, which which is interesting and, and good fun to do. It's amazing and not an easy thing to create and maintain in the modern day when everyone leads so busy lives and in normal times will do a lot of travelling and maybe be involved in quite a lot of different things. So really impressive to see that continue. Now, I'm sure that people listening will have seen you performing on stage or at the very least have heard recordings, but they may also have seen you, Mark, addressing the audience on stage in your work as an adjudicator and, of course, your chairperson of the association of brass band adjudicators. What drew you to becoming quite heavily involved in a world that some people would probably want to run away from? There's a, a, always a lot of people who perhaps 
not always happy and agreeable with your results. Uh, speaking to adjudicators, we do understand this. We know what to expect when we, we do start adjudicating. But I think we, we feel it's it's good to put something back into the back into the movement. We try to be as positive as we can in the, the comments and as constructive because we want bands to improve and we want bands to be as good as they can be. We know there are some familiar debates around, Mark. Open adjudication versus the box. Blank canvas versus criteria-based adjudications. Spoken adjudications. Judges sitting together or not conferring at all. Do you have a preference on these things or does it really depend on the occasion and the type of contest that it is? From from my point of view and also from the, uh, the association's point of view, we would always prefer closed adjudication. It's not that our results would be be different, but we want to judge with our ears rather than our eyes. And, we, and sometimes you, you can be distracted, what's going on in the audience, what's going on stage. We just want to be in our box with our score, fully focused on the what we're doing and what, what we can what we can hear. And and for me, I know there's different options about what systems should be used. We've got a wide range of experiences within our membership. We've got over 80, 80 members. And the preferred option is the way it is at the moment. Possibly three ju- judges in one tent, working together, communicating with each other. It's very easy, as, as one person's writing, it's hard to be concentrating on your score and listen and write. So it's, it's often where one person's writing, someone might pick up on something that you haven't heard because you're concentrating on something else. So there's always a lot of dialogue and debate in the, the box and having six ears is usually better than two. Is it something that you and the association keeps tabs on in terms of listening to the feedback that you get from bands? Because, of course, we hear the arguments. Some will say, of course, we should trust the adjudicators, let them get out the dark and, and see what's going on. On the other side of the coin, you, some folks say you might just not get some of the results we've seen in recent years, perhaps when a fancied band might finish a little bit further down down the pile or whatever. Is a closed adjudication system just the best compromise? I think whichever systems are used, there's always a lot of debate. Bands always tend to prefer a particular type of adjudication if they've won. Uh, one of the things I found when I first joined the association is the number of people saying it's good to have younger members rather than the same older members. However, you then get people who are saying the trouble is with these younger younger members, they're not experienced as like the older members are. So whatever you do, whether we use young members, old members, again, you can't please please everyone. But we are, are always receptive to any ideas. We have a, an executive committee at Abba who discuss all, any concerns or any any items of interest, really, because that's what we want to do. We want to represent what the banding movement wants, but also take into account our experiences of trying all these different systems, which have, have been tried all over the world, and our members have also been involved in these different types of adjudication, whether it's open or six judges or one judge, etc. I bet you and your colleagues are itching to get back into a box as soon as it's allowed. It's going to be fantastic. Well, as we approach the final moments of our conversation today, Mark, we're hoping, of course, that brighter times are ahead for everybody in the near future, but of course for our brass bands too. The proposed timeline 
for the continuing relaxing of restrictions would certainly suggest that. How are you feeling about the weeks and months ahead? Are you looking forward to getting back in the band room? Yes. So uh, again, at Foden's, since lockdown, we've uh, we've all we've been doing the weekly quizzes. We've 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 maintained fortnightly committee meetings, and uh, by having all the virtual videos we do, we've kept people engaged and playing and things to work towards. Uh, however, it's not the same as all being in the the same rooms. So we've we've got various risk assessments in place. Uh, we have consulted the band. Uh, about our plans, about when we would like to return. So we're looking at returning uh, for one rehearsal a week from the end of May, uh, socially distanced, and then from the 21st of June, reverting to two rehearsals a week. Extremely lucky we've not lost any players during lockdown, and all the band have said they want to return in May. One of the concerns is not everyone's has had the, the jab. Those who've not had the jab, would they want to come back? So we do have a number of younger members who have still said, even though they're not at the jab, they do want to come back. So we're looking forward to having a full band on the 20th of May, which will be our first rehearsal back. It sounds really, really encouraging and hopefully everybody will enjoy getting back into the band hall. It's understandable, as you say, some folks who may not have received a vaccination yet or may just have a concern or a worry about getting back into that sort of environment straight away. I guess there's a balance and bands around the country will be trying to strike this balance, won't they? They'll be itching to get back and and hoping their members come back. But by the same token, you can't place quite the same level of expectation on everybody right away. No, and one thing we've tried to to do is is look at taking into account that when we do return, players are going to be at different levels of match fitness. Some people have continued practising every day. I know I have. Some people might not have been able to do that. So when we've been discussing our return to band, uh, Michael Fowles has been involved in our meetings just to discuss the content and how we will rehearse when we come back. We don't envisage starting back playing Life Divine and uh, contest music on the the first rehearsal. And also because we've got members travelling long distances, we didn't want to rehearse for one hour because it'll take people longer than that. However... Again, we are more than aware that some people, after 10, 15 minutes, might not have the the stamina. So we give everyone a a month's notice when we will be coming back. We've said we would like them to be in some sort of uh, match fitness. However, we are understanding for various reasons that everyone will be at peak fitness. That's it for this episode of BB On The Record. Thank you to Mark Wilkinson and thanks to you for listening. Do get in touch about anything you might have heard on the podcast. You can email info at britishbandsman.com. You can enjoy a digital subscription to British Bandsman. It costs just £42.99 for one year. From the latest news and interviews to BB's exclusive Masterclass series featuring the likes of Richard Marshall, Tom Hutchinson, Stephen Mead, Brett Baker and Kirsty Abbott, make sure you don't miss out. Go to BritishBandsman.com and click on subscribe. As for this podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now. 